the most important thing I think is just digging into who you are, what ADHD really is to your brain and your body, what that looks like and how it affects you positively and negatively, like really dig into not just what are your symptoms, but how does it set you apart in a good way? And I think that's therapeutic and it allows us to kind of like shake off all the negative stuff. It it doesn't completely go away, but I think we have to make the decision that we want to understand ourselves better and we want to reframe our thoughts. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 184 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to my guest, Danielle House. Danielle is the Chief Executive Officer of Octodent, a medical device manufacturer that focuses on bringing to market industry-disrupting dental products that improve patient as well as clinician experience. In her role as CEO, Danielle leads an incredible team of individuals as they develop innovative products for dental practices and educational institutions across the globe. Danielle is married to her high school sweetheart, and together they have two adorable children. For fun, Danielle enjoys binge reading a great book, trying new restaurants, and traveling to new destinations. Danielle recently received her ADD diagnoses at the age of 32. Oh my God, you've done all that, and you're only 32, and has spent the months post-diagnoses working to better understand her brain and how ADHD affects the different parts of her life healing from a life of imposter syndrome and shame, and learning to reframe her expectations of herself at home, in relationships, and in her career. Danielle, did I get all of that right? 
Absolutely. Tracy, thank you so much for having me. It's such a privilege to be talking to you today. Oh, well, the privilege is all mine. So tell us what part of the country you are talking to us from. I am in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas, so the northern area. Mm -hmm. So um, can you tell us a little bit, well, before we get started, just to kind of give us some frame of reference, can you tell us a little bit about the company that you run as far as, I guess what I'm asking is, how big of a company is this? So we are a new company. Uh, We started in 2020. Um, We were founded by a practicing general dentist that focuses in pediatrics, and um, we brought to market a product that helped dental clinicians get back into the work that they needed to do and take care of their patients during COVID. So um, it's overcomplicated, but to simplify what we do is um, we provide a product that allows them to suction aerosols, potentially dangerous ones, and then filter them out so they can, um, so they could go back to work during COVID. And so what we found is that's the new standard of care in dentistry. So that's how we support them right now. But simultaneously, we are also developing multiple other products that focus around pediatrics and um, other specialties that hopefully will really innovate dentistry and bring better patient and clinician experience. So how many employees are there in the company? So right now we have around five full-time employees. And then we have, gosh, I think right now we have about 10 consultants uh, across the country. Okay. What I'm getting at, Danielle, is isn't this a multi-million dollar company? It is. Yes, ma'am. And you started it in 2020? We did. Yes. Oh my gosh. So how, how did you end up with this company? So that's an interesting story. Um, And I'll try to make it as articulate as possible because it's something that is hard to explain credibly. But um, my daughter um, was about four years old and I took her to her first dentist appointment um, at this pediatric focused office. And my daughter suffers, has always suffered from anxiety. She's a highly intelligent child. And so She was just so afraid and she had a a thousand questions and um, we went into this office. It was brightly colored. It was amazing. And she was so happy, but um, the office was just really special. The dental assistants um, were all just, they spoke so kindly and they were so happy. And then this doctor, um, the dentist, he made her feel so comfortable, but she had, like I said, she had a thousand questions and was super fearful, but they never um, pressured her. And I, I bet I apologize a hundred times for all of her questions and her uh, behavior. And they just continued to make me feel really great about who she was and that everything was okay and everything was normal. And I remember looking over and they had like a list of, um, the important things in the office. I forget what they call it, but everything about it was incredible and it was patient centered and creating the best experience for children. And I just remember thinking, I want to work somewhere with a culture like this, it gave me like all the warm fuzzies. And I realized that I was missing that in my current career. And Mm -hmm. so about six months later, maybe. Danielle, what were you doing at the time? I was the, uh, what was my title? A medical scheduling coordinator for a community health center. So we answered the phones for about 10 offices and 
all in one location. So I, I was the uh, coordinator for that. You were in healthcare. Yes, I was. And so about six months um, after that first appointment, um, I I had been looking for another job and that office was looking for an office manager and I applied for the position. I got an interview and it was incredible and it went really, really well. And then I met the doctor and that went very, very well. And I just knew that this was, this was my next, you know, career move. And, uh, I ended up getting a phone call about a week later and the doctor kind of apologized profusely to me because he said he really did feel like I was the best person for the job. Um, Mm. but he, he was worried about that. I lived an hour away and that he was worried my home and work-life balance would begin to get to me after, um, a period of time as a mother. And he, um, just didn't want to do that to me, but he said, I just think you're an incredible person and that you're going to do big things in this industry. Um, and we'll probably see each other in the future. And I (laughs) cried. Um, and I thought that's the nicest no I've ever gotten. But uh, every time I went and took my daughter to the dentist after that, I would bring it up (laughs) to him and I'd say, do you need anybody for your team? Uh, you know, I'll come uh, do your marketing. Uh, I'll, I'll come run your front desk. I just love to be a part of this. But obviously I didn't start working for him at that point. But again, about another year later, he called me up out of the blue and said that he was starting a medical device company and that he had created this uh, product and he needed somebody to run this company for him and that he had thought of me and he wanted to present that opportunity to me. Oh, I have goosebumps. And so can you tell us, were you qualified to run the company? Like, did you have the skills Or did he just see that, oh my gosh, this woman is a leader and she cares so much and she's going to blow this up for me? Well, that's a great question. And uh, you are poking at my imposter syndrome, to be honest. (laughs) But um, I would not say that I was qualified in any way as far as I didn't have a master's degree. I had most of my bachelor's. I was still in school. But what I, um, I think that, you know, he, he chose me because I go after things and with my full heart and I don't fail at things that I'm passionate about and that he wanted this company to be something of a global products brand. And he knew that it was going to take tenacity and it was going to take a lot of work, but he also wanted to make sure that it had the same culture that he had at his other company. And that was the thing that I was so passionate about in my interview with him. So I believe that he chose me for a combination of reasons, um, but I think it's it's the the same ideals around culture and um, as well as you know perseverance. And we've had a couple of conversations about it because I've asked him the same question, um, and and that's kind of the answer he gives me. I love that story. Okay, so. We're going to start where we normally start (laughs) in most of these podcasts. We kind of veered off, but I wanted to get more of a flavor for who you were and who you were in this company, how you got there, all of that. So thank you for entertaining that. So I'm wondering if you could tell us about your ADHD diagnoses. Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, Well, it's relatively fresh officially, but um, the way I stumbled upon believing that I had ADHD and seeking a diagnosis was actually you. Um, I was watching a TikTok and it, I I forget, I don't, I wasn't following the person, but 
you and um, this other on this podcast, I think um, it's called Gold Digger, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, you were talking about the ADHD brain. Of, yeah, the ADHD brain of interest and how women with ADHD become successful the higher in their careers or education they get, and that public education goes wide, not deep. And I remember getting at chills listening to you say that because I just felt so heard. It felt um, like maybe I need to explore this more because I'd never heard that concept before, the wide, not deep uh, in education. And so I looked the whole episode up and um, I cried uh, listening to you guys talk about things that I'd never heard anyone speak of up to that point. And so then I went and found your podcast and I listened to probably about four episodes and each one just continued to resonate with me. And I just felt so seen. Um, and then everything just felt so um, validating. Like I, I didn't really know how to describe it, but it was like my eyes were being open to um, why I was the way I was and why um, a lot of things like being the CEO of a company, but struggling um, in ways that were hard to explain to other people and in my personal life, just just coming or just disconnecting so much uh, from my career and who I was in that world. Um, so that's that's how I I guess I started doing tons of research after that particular point, and finally I got I got brave enough to go see um, I believe a psychiatrist to talk about a diagnosis. So Danielle, um, had you known what ADHD was before? Why were you on TikTok, you know, researching ADHD? I wasn't. Um, total coincidence. Uh, mm. I do love, I, I love self-reflection. I do love to understand myself better. I'm always seeking that um, interesting things about psychology and things like that. So I definitely um, wasn't looking up ADHD. Um, it came up on my For You page, which I actually have come to believe that TikTok starts diagnosing people and showing them content when they behave like other people. And yeah. so I do think that TikTok put an ADHD video in my For You page because of the content and because I, you know, behave like other people um, similar to me. But I had I had no idea that ADHD presented like this at all. I don't think I, I have a single person in my life that at that point I knew had ADHD. Um, I, I think I just thought of it as hyperactivity and young children. Um, and then something, all the extremes that you see in movies or, you know, that's, that's all I knew at the time. So were you diagnosed as inattentive or combined? Um, combined. Or do you know? Combined. Combined. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so... Were you struggling at the time? I was. I did say I went straight to a psychiatrist, but that's not actually true. Um, I started researching it, and then I was struggling, uh, specifically um, around my memory and short-term memory. It was affecting uh, my work, my safety, um, lots of ADHD tax kind of things happening to me, but then also um, just things so important like um, remembering to give my children medication when they were on an antibiotic and things like that. And I started feeling so much shame around those behaviors that I brought it up to my primary care physician when she was trying to prescribe me a medicate or an antibiotic for a, an ear infection. And I just started crying and telling her I didn't think I could remember to take it. And she said that she had ADHD 
And um, she said that all the things that I'm explaining to her very much sounded like her ADHD as well. And she encouraged me to um, see a psychiatrist to explore that diagnosis because she felt like um, I would really benefit from, from that. That is wonderful. I love hearing about doctors who, who hear our symptoms and actually know what they represent or at least know to suggest, you know, maybe you should go right. take a look at this. Right. I did bring up the ADHD to her, but, mm-hmm. and then when she asked me, why do I, you know, why? And I explained yeah. the things I was dealing with. She just um, validated that. Yeah. And it was because she also had ADHD. Right. Simil- she and I are similar ages and um, she also has ADHD. So did you feel like your symptoms got worse um, once you had kids? Were you managing pretty well pre-kids? No. Um, okay. My symptoms just changed and um, they, I stopped. Um, well, I guess what I should say is I believed myself to be a bit of a hot mess. <laughs> if that's what the back then, uh, you know, it was a joke almost. Um, I can't remember anything. I can't, um, you know, I, I, all kinds of random things that felt like personality traits. Mm-hmm. And then the more successful I became, um, the more those things didn't make sense and felt I felt so much shame around them because I am incredibly responsible and I run a company and these things were ha- still happening to me and I, I felt like I had no control over them. And um, again, just so much shame around that. So I wouldn't say that my symptoms got worse. I would just say that I became more self-aware and, mm. um, well, you and were just, doing even more masking, right? Which is what causes shame. Right. A lot, a lot of masking for sure. Okay. So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, like starting from childhood that you now recognize as, well, duh, that was ADHD. Sure. Um, well, I definitely could never, um, force myself to do homework alone. That was, um, a huge challenge for me. A lot of shame around that. Um, I always needed someone sitting next to me, body doubling, I guess is what they call it. Um, that was something that was super frustrating for my mother who was a single mom and could not fathom why I couldn't just sit down and do my homework. Like I, like kids are supposed to. And, um, so that was a big one for me. I was also incredibly talkative and, um, that was something that I, I wish I, or I go back and look and I'm like, that's so, so obvious ADHD that no teacher caught that. I think my seventh grade study hall teacher called me rattle trap and that wait, she called you what rattle trap was her nickname for me. What Um, does that even mean? I have no idea. I guess that I rattled all the time. Um, oh God, that is so obnoxious, obnoxious and, and quite a bit of shame associated with that particular thing and nickname. Um, I also struggled to, to stay attentive in class. Um, I was really, really bored very often. There were certain classes obviously that were super interesting to me and I loved and I could stay focused, but on the ones that I didn't like math, um, I just, I could not focus. I So I could not do the homework. I could not take the tests and that really compounded. So lots, I would say, um, when I went and saw the psychiatrist and I started explaining my symptoms, he said, I'm, 
I'm going to finish this assessment, but you present classically ADHD. You know, this is definitely what that is. So pretty validating, but also shocking that not a single person in my life caught it. So yeah, well, they didn't know what it looks like in girls, right? Right. Or women. So were you a troublemaker or were you a good girl? Mm, A little bit of both. (laughs) Definitely. A little bit of both. Um, Troublemaker in the sense that I I couldn't quit talking. Um, I was loud and bossy. And like I said, couldn't really focus, couldn't really execute tasks. I was really terrible with self-care. And so I wouldn't call myself a troublemaker, but um, I also was quite the people pleaser. So, Mm. Okay. So we initially had an email conversation around how successful you are and the fact that even though you're so successful and it sounds like your success has happened quite quickly, you still really struggle with imposter syndrome. And I am wondering, how is that going? Because it's been a couple months since we spoke. Right. We actually spoke before my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have been diagnosed about two months. And I would say that the imposter syndrome is still very much there, but I'm starting to recognize and be able to come to terms with my success and how I got here not despite my ADHD, but because of it, which Ah. is profound. Okay. So what has changed? Let's put the imposter syndrome on the side because I really want to have a big discussion in there. But before we do that, what has changed since you were diagnosed besides what you just said about the imposter syndrome? Mm, A lot of things, probably every single part of my life. I had no idea that um, my ADHD uh, permeated so deeply in my relationships, in my behaviors, in my health, every single thing, my parenting. Um, so I have, uh, begun use, using a stimulant medication, um, mm-hmm. to control it. I, I don't even think control it is the right term, but that has been life changing as well. I, I can't, you even... have to tell us what you're on because people get so mad at me when I don't ask. Mm-hmm. I completely understand. I would probably have been that person about three months ago. Um, I am on Adderall. Okay. And, um, so every, every, um, three weeks or so I would see the the psychiatrist and and we've been steadily increasing until I was at a therapeutic dose. So, um, and it's working and it's really been life changing for you. It wasn't immediately. I could definitely, um, feel, I felt more articulate. I felt like I could remember my words better, but it didn't last very long. And it definitely didn't touch my memory issues, which was my biggest ADHD symptom at the time that I was aware of and that was affecting my life so significantly. But I would say as the dose has increased, I've seen those things definitely improve much more. And I can honestly say that the medication has, has truly changed my life. I love hearing that. So I have a question for you. It's personal, but um, can you memorize anything? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> how about how about the chorus of one song? Oh, I will. I hyper focus on music, and so I oh. listen to the same song 150 times until I burn it out. Um, but it gives me the dopamine. So Danielle, it on the song. <laughs> I would listen to that same song 100 times, and I still couldn't tell you what the chorus was. That's yeah. funny. I probably couldn't tell you unless the, the music was on, but I love like deep, 
meaningful songs. And so mm-hmm. like the words that hit me to my soul. And so I probably couldn't tell you if you just asked me directly, but if the music came on, I might could yeah. do a pretty good job of it. So do you do any public speaking? Oh, um, sometimes I do not enjoy it. Um, <laughs> can you remember, I mean, if you don't have notes, could you give a speech or would you just kind of be all over the place on Tangent Boulevard? I am a fan of winging it as, oh uh, my. and I, I do prepare for things, but, um, that's one of my ADHD symptoms as, uh, I last minute prepare, but mm-hmm. I find that I'm, I'm more connected to the things that I say if I don't over prepare. And I'm able to speak more truthfully and it resonates with people better if I give them the last minute version of me, if that makes any sense. Okay. But you didn't say that you struggle with anxiety, but I've rarely met a woman with ADHD who doesn't have even a little bit of it. And so I'm curious when you're getting ready to speak and you're even a little anxious, what does that do to your memory? Uh, it does terrible things to my memory for sure, which mm-hmm. is probably why it wouldn't do me any good to memorize those things. Anyways, I would still probably have to speak from from what I know to be truth and, and really have to understand mm-hmm. what I'm speaking about. But I do suffer from anxiety my entire life. Um, you know, situational is I think everybody has some situational anxiety, but I had anxiety constantly like a, you know, an elephant on my chest at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um I can speak to the use of medication to treat my ADHD and how um, significantly that is gone. The tension in my body is gone. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Wow. Uh, I love that. And I think what you're saying, which is where I've come down on all of this because of my working memory problems and just this fear of if I have to get out there and speak impromptu, like literally what I know, what I know so to be true. I I can't even figure out, well, where is it? What is it? What do I believe? You know? And I think where I have finally come down on all this is exactly what you're saying. It's the two words, I need to be myself. And when I'm not able to be myself, um, that is when I struggle more. So I just have to go with being comfortable with who I am right then and there and what I know. Oh, that is so true. Um, in any opportunity where I am supposed to just introduce somebody or I just anything like that. I, I won't know a single thing. I can't, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. And um, it, it is because I feel like I have to be a different version of myself. Yes. Um, I can talk for hours and, and go on a soliloquy pretty often. But whenever I'm tasked with being a certain version or speaking about something that people are expecting me to speak on, it's, mm-hmm. it's so much more difficult. And like you said, the anxiety and then the memory just all start hitting you all at once and everything, you know, kind of fades away. Um, because you're, I think we're so, or for me, I'm so busy trying to present myself physically in a way that's, I feel like palatable to others. And I'm watching my, how loud I'm speaking and I'm watching my gestures and I'm trying to be the version that I think people want me to be. And that mm-hmm. makes, takes my brain away from, um, speaking and actually talking about, you know, what I'm there to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. That has just been my thing now. You know, when I start getting anxious, okay, 
being yourself, be yourself, be yourself. I mean, literally, that's what's going on in my brain. And it's interesting when you're around people, I don't know if this happens to you, but when I'm around people that are very linear brained and that are very corporate and that are very, frankly, boring and in the box, that is when I struggle the most versus if I can get around like my own women, like my own people, then you know, they, they totally get what's going on with me and I'm completely comfortable. And I, that's when I'm my best. So it's being yourself, but also being yourself in the right environment where you can be yourself. Right. That's so true because I've, I've started to recognize the people around me and their neurodiversity. And I am (laughs) drawn to those people, the people I feel a, a true connection to that I'm able to bear my soul to, and they bear theirs to me. They're not off put by the way I speak. In fact, they're doing it the same way. We're not interrupting each other. We're having a, you know, a spirited conversation that we're both engaged in. Whereas when I'm often speaking to someone, like you said, with that has that linear thinking, they're like, this person's been talking for four minutes and hasn't let me speak yet. And I'm, you know, it's very different. You have to have different rules in place when you speak to people like that, I feel like. And that's, that's no fun. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk. This is a perfect segue to talk about imposter syndrome. So just so our listeners know, this term was coined in the 70s by um, two psychologists, Dr. Pauline Clance and Suzanne Immes. And I have this written down. I did not remember this. (laughs) And it's used to describe high achieving people who don't recognize their accomplishments. They feel like they're a fraud and their success must be an accident or a mistake. It can't possibly be, you know, because we're, we're smart and we're interesting and we're funny and, you know, whatever, and, and, and. So we're talking about smart, accomplished, successful women who they just don't believe that their success is deserved. And I'm pretty confident that many of our listeners can relate to that. And I'm confident of that because I can certainly relate to that at times. And so you were saying that it's something that you really struggled with, but since you've been diagnosed, you're struggling. Does it sound like quite a bit less? Um, syndrome? I would definitely say it's, it decreases every single day. And I think for me, the reason why is because I never could understand, um, I, like you said, it was luck. Everything was just being at the right place in the right time or the person making the decision uh, couldn't have possibly, you know, there had to be some reason why they chose me that isn't because I'm great or, um, you know, good at my job or because, um, like you said, I'm interesting or it was always something negative that just allowed me to have this thing. And, um, now I'm starting to recognize that my success does like correlate to some of my real strengths and they've, that's what's allowed me to take a really, um, uh, not linear path to, um, to being an executive. And I've been able to, well, every single ta- or thing I've done in my life hasn't been following the rules or the path that somebody else would take to get there. My first management position, I think I was 24, um, maybe. And it, I was the youngest manager that that, uh, company of over a hundred people had ever put in a, in a management role. Um, I had no previous uh, experience as a manager, but they just believed that I was capable. Um, but again, I felt like I thought I fell in that role. I, I felt like that they just had no other option. And so that's why they promoted me. So 
I do feel it less now because I can see um, the strengths that that I have in a different light. And so I hope that explains it. I went yeah, around the world so, to answer that. No, 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 not at all. So the follow-up for me with that question is, so what do you think it was that changed your beliefs about yourself? Was it just learning about ADHD and understanding how your brain worked? So I think what happens to a lot of us is we are consistently inconsistent. Like in school, we're really good in certain subjects and then other subjects we completely suck at, right? And then that follows into so we may be really good at specific things, but maybe the administrative tasks, we really suck. And so that's what we focus on. And so because we're focusing on the stuff we suck in, we think that the other stuff, like you said, is an accident and we must be a fraud because we're not good at everything. And so is it understanding for you that okay, yeah, I do have weaknesses, but oh my gosh, look at those strengths. And before you didn't even realize they were strengths or is it something else? Mm. I would say that I have flourished in my role as the CEO of this company because um, my the, the owner of the company is, takes a pretty hands-off approach and gives me the um, the true autonomy to lead the way that's best for me and allows me to be the type of boss that um, that allows me to let the people who work uh, on our behalf flourish as well. And I've seen a lot of success there. And I've seen being given the reins and being um, given the opportunity to do things my way is incredible. Like I've seen the success in direct correlation to my personal choices. And so I've just been able to connect the dots a little bit better now that I see like the reason why I, I didn't um, do make perfect grades in school makes sense. And so I went on to college and the reason why I couldn't go to class um, unless I was super interested is because I have ADHD, not because I'm lazy and not mm -hmm. because I'm um, a mess and wasn't uh, driven enough. The reason why I've changed careers often isn't because I'm flaky. It's because I am passionate and I love to be a part of things that encourage growth and innovation and um, exceptionalism. And I don't like to stay places where I don't feel those things. And all of those, when when you reframe your negative traits into what they truly are, um, it's just easier to see how you got where you got or, or who yeah. you are truly. So, Danielle, you were allowed finally to be yourself. Right. I have goosebumps. Oh, me too. That, that's wonderful. Um, okay. So, any other advice you would have for our listeners who might be thinking, oh, I really do suffer with uh, this, um, oh my God, what's it called? Um, I, I, imposter complex. I right. always forget that particular, those two words, imposter complex. So advice I would give around that. That's a tough one because I feel like it's a real personal journey. And the most important thing I think is just digging into who you are, what ADHD really is, like what it actually is to your brain and your body and um, what that looks like and how it affects you positively and negatively, like really dig into not just what are your symptoms, but how does it set you apart in a good way? And I think that's therapeutic 
And it allows us to kind of like shake off all the negative stuff. It, it doesn't completely go away, but I think we have to, we have to make the decision that we want to understand ourselves better. And we want to reframe our thoughts because no one else can do that for you. You know, I would think too, um, that you are constantly in action. You are constantly achieving. And at some point you just have to realize that, okay, this isn't an accident. You know, I'm in all of these scenarios. So there must be something about me that is causing all this success. Yeah. I, I mean, oh, it doesn't sound like you believe me. Um, I wouldn't say that that ever, that came to me as an epiphany by any means. Um, it just, it, it was hard work to get to here. And I, I remember mm -hmm. talking to my psychiatrist when he was diagnosing me and I said, you know, that I was really struggling with this. And to, I'm going to tell you a personal thing. I, in, in my hometown, um, I don't tell people what my title is. Um, I, when I introduce myself or when they ask me what I do for a living, I say, I run a medical device company instead of telling people that I'm, uh, the CEO in my small town, in my, in my little world where people know me as something very different than I am today. Um, I feel like it's easier to be small and, um, mm. I can't say it's gone and I can't say just because I have success and I've achieved, and it's obvious, I guess, to a stranger that that's success. Um, so it's you, still something I deal with. So do you not tell them what you really do in like the real words because you're afraid that they're going to not like you as much or why? Mm, I just don't think they can. I guess sometimes I, I feel like it's easier to, um, to not. Uh, maybe they won't. Uh, they'll believe me, but it's, I don't really know. It's not that they won't like me. It's that they can't quite connect um, the version of me than they have in their head, the hot mess to the version of me that exists to the rest of the world, maybe. And so I just feel like it's easier not to, to try. Um, Are you I didn't afraid? Go to of, my, I'm sorry, go ahead. Are you afraid of making them uncomfortable? No, no, it's, it's about my own uncomfortability. In fact, I skipped my 15 year re reunion this year, um, for that very reason. I think the average person would go to their class reunion and happily, uh, tell their classmates that they are the CEO of a medical device company. But I would say that, you know, that was about three months ago before the actual diagnosis. Um, but I, I could not force myself to walk into that room and, um, and tell those people that, watched me, I don't know, have inconsistent success and be, that I just didn't think that they would believe that this is real, that this is a legitimate company. I know that sounds ridiculous almost to say it out loud, but those are my, my innermost thoughts for sure. So maybe that's the next thing you need to do, huh? Process that. <laughs> No, do actually do go. something about it, that you are allowed to have this success and it is your brilliant ADHD brain that, you know, in large part is responsible for it. Um, and I think then you become a role model to, you know, younger women that, I mean, you're already so darn young that, you know, they, they see that, okay, maybe I struggled in these areas, but this is the reason why I struggled because I am so creative and, you know. Right. 
I am very passionate about that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I very much want to share what I know. And um, with other women, um, I actually found out one of my best friends um, has ADHD. Um, and I've only known her about five years. But I found out she was diagnosed as a child. And she struggles with a lot of the same things as me. It should have been an epiphany for me. And there's so much shame around that and around getting help and, and understanding it better. And um, this was your best friend? One of my very best friends, yes. Um, I, she, she, I, I had no idea that she had ADHD. Because um, she felt so much shame around it that she just couldn't tell anybody? I don't know if it's that so much as, you know, when she was diagnosed as a child. Again, it was misunderstood. It was about hyperactivity. Um, there was stigmatism around medication. And so her parents didn't medicate her. And so she maybe never thought of it again, if that makes sense, like tucked it away. And it then I mean, when it came up with me, she was like, oh, yeah, I have ADHD. And I'm like, oh, you do? You know, oh, um, it's actually come up a couple of different times with some different uh, acquaintances and women that I feel comfortable sharing things with. So um, I know when we first uh, started talking before we pushed the record button, um, you were you were concerned about you know going public with this. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I think it's more than anything one of one of my um, ADHD symptoms that I've struggled with my entire life is oversharing. <laughs> <laughs> I know we all um, we all do that, and it's it's one of the biggest challenges in my life um, as a leader, as a friend. Um, and so what, I guess I, I was concerned with sharing my truth and saying, um, things that made me look, like I said, inconsistent or incapable of running this company publicly. Um, I, I was concerned about that. Um, it's not because that I don't of want what the world. People, I'm sorry. Because of what people think they know about ADHD, but in fact, they don't know, right? That, you know, it means you're not very smart. Maybe it means you're too slow. Maybe it means you're too fast. But in any case, you're not competent. You you shouldn't be successful at this. Right. Is that why versus what ADHD really means? It's less even about like just people knowing I have ADHD because I actually have shared that publicly. It's it's more about me sharing my dirty secrets about the things, um, my symptoms and the things that I still struggle with to this day. Um, I didn't know what I would say in this moment of, you know, vulnerability. Um, and so I had just concerns that I might share things that, you know, were uncomfortable for me, for others to know that I struggle with, if that makes sense. It completely does. Um, in my experience, however, when we have guests who talk about their ADHD, you know, once the the episode airs, what they come back and tell me is there was just a freedom around it because the shame is dissipated. And obviously your people don't know that you're their people until you speak up and become visible, right? And you're in such right. an amazing place in your life to be able to do that so that, again, especially other women who have ADHD can say, oh my gosh, look at what she's done and she's now my role model. I want to be, you know, like her. I want to do some of the things that she's doing. Well, that sounds lovely. And honestly, I just would love to, um, even one person, um, you know, 
help them see that what is normal and or what is okay and that you can um, find something that you're passionate about and see success in that even um, kind of if you haven't found that yet um, in your early uh, part of your life, I guess. You know, I, I definitely didn't see myself here in medical device um, <laughs> it, uh, five years ago, three years ago. Um, I just wanted to do something, um, I don't know, that I was passionate about. And I would have never known that was medical device. And to be frank, I wouldn't have thought I was smart enough to be in this world. But um, it's absolutely the most interesting thing I've ever done. And I get to be um, in conversations and be working with people who are doing incredible work, just so challenging, but interesting and, and really making a difference. And I just adore what I do and, and what we're able to, um, to bring into the world. So I would, I would just want to hopefully inspire someone else to keep seeking something more and not be ashamed of job hopping or, you know, looking for the thing that, that brings you joy that you don't dread Monday mornings that you're, and, you're excited to go. And so do you think that really for you is the key that it would be much harder to do this in an area that you didn't have so much passion for, but because you love this area so much, the sky is the limit and you are going to be better in doing it because of that hyper-focus that we have when we're really interested. Oh, absolutely. 150%. I can say that with my whole heart, that the success that I have is completely attributed to working in an environment of something that interests me every single day. Also, I don't do the same job every day. This is a startup. Mm -hmm. So um, every single day I learn something new. Um, I'm challenged with solving problems that aren't um, maybe even what somebody would think a CEO is doing. We're really doing something very novel. And the constant stimulation, that constant challenge has been incredible for me and kept me interested in something. Um, I don't think just because I had a big title, I would have um, stayed somewhere. It just, it's not enough for me. Um, and so that on top of being able to um, choose the team that's around me and empower them and, and um, really give them opportunities for personal and professional growth and support their mental and physical health, all of those things I've been allowed to do, which are so important to me. And I think that's why. I'm, I'm truly flourishing in my career is because all, all those boxes are checked. So. so, Danielle, that's another testament to this whole idea that I see so many ADHD women in these low-level jobs. They are not living to their potential. They are much too smart, much too creative. <laughs> um, right. And the deal is that they need to get to the higher levels, right? Because if they can get to the level where they're the CEO and they're the one that is basically running the show and making the decisions and learning every day, that is what we do best in versus, you know, making sure that, oh, I don't know, there's enough copy paper in the copy machine or, you know, everybody has whatever it is that they need on that spreadsheet. I mean, those things tend to be much more difficult for us. We are idea people. And we're Absolutely. also the kind of people that can take those ideas and put them into action when we're passionate about what we're doing. That is the truth. I completely agree with you. I believe that when you put a person, specifically a woman with ADHD in a role that is repetitive or they've already learned and, and hit their ceiling, um, they will stop flourishing. Um, I, we, we burn out 
uh, like we burn bright and then we, you know, once we learn everything there is to learn, we start to, you know, go downhill and that's, we either seek another place to, to of employment or, uh, to find that stimulation again in that, um, or I feel like we stay out of shame or, or financial, uh, re- responsibility and we, we just slowly like kind of shrivel up and we become less of ourselves. And I think that ADHD women are super powerful and all the things that make us unique are the things that, um, make great leaders. I think we're empathetic to things that the corporate world does not have empathy for, uh, being five minutes late in the morning. Okay. It doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. Where do you work? Well, I prefer to work everywhere. I prefer to work (laughs) in coffee shops. I never, I don't like to work in an office. So our entire company is remote. We work anywhere we want to. My employees, um, they have a place they want if they want to work. Um, and it's a collaborative space, but they work from coffee shops. They work from, um, you know, the beach, um, and, and they work from home if they want to. Um, but ultimately they are given the freedom to be the best versions of themselves. I, I don't want to put the people who work for me in boxes. I like to choose the people that I really truly believe that they have, you know, limitless potential and then empower them to believe that in themselves. And I've just seen incredible results and I have a fantastic team around me, I think because of that. It sounds like it. So Danielle, what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? Mm. Um, I would say if I could only say one thing, the key for me would be having empathy for yourself and grace. Um, that, that would be my, my top one. It's brilliant. So what are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success? Um, passion, hyper-focus, um, and it's maybe attention to detail. You know, not not detail, but random details that yes, uh, everyone else isn't about. paying attention. Right. Yeah. Uh, the things that you you end up being the only person in the meeting that remembers this random thing that allows, you know, like it to go somewhere different and and to give you something really novel. Um, I would say that those are the things that I feel are responsible for my success. Yeah. Do you um do you feel like you use your creativity a lot in Absolutely. your current job? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a startup, um, I'm I am a part of every single decision that's made um, at a probably a much deeper level than the average CEO, and so um, I'm a part of the marketing initiatives and down to you know the creative copy and um, all of those things. We also are making medical devices, and there's a lot of uh, round table like. How do we solve this? What? Do, how do we feel the user is going to feel about these things? And um, I've seen the opportunity to be creative um, in ways that I didn't know were, I guess, creative outlets, like yeah. new ways. Yeah. Do you have a number one ADHD workaround for us? Hmm. I would say um, embracing self-care and uh, supports that make sense to your needs. So for me, I've embraced, you know, uh, having um, a housekeeper that comes once a week. So I don't feel the shame around those things. And I'm able to focus on my children and and my family and my work. Um, And, you know, I am not great about my 
washing my face and remembering to put on these things. And so I've given myself the permission to go get a facial once a month and rehabilitate the thing that I can't seem to accomplish like everyone else. Um, you know, it's, if you, you know, in a phrase, it's just, it's just giving yourself permission to find the tools that you need, um, without shame because they don't like, not everybody needs to go get a facial every month, I guess. But for me, it's, it's very important. Um, and so if that makes a lot of sense, that's, that's been super helpful for me. I love it. So Danielle, where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do? Um, me personally, I love LinkedIn. So I'd be happy to connect and, and, you know, network with anybody who wants to, you know, send me a connection request and talk more. And what is that URL? Is it just, is it literally Danielle House? It should be. <laughs> it okay, should we be. will find it. <laughs> We will find it. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go right on LinkedIn and let's see if we can find it. So it's linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash house Danielle with two L's. Okay, so where are we? Do, 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 do. Oh, guess what? We're at the end, Danielle. So I'm going to put all this stuff in the show notes as far as your link. And I just wanted to say thank you so much, Danielle, for spending time with us here today. Yeah, I really appreciate the time that we spent together, Tracy. It's it's a real honor. And I mean that you, you're the catalyst to me understanding myself better. So thank you so much. I love hearing that. So thank you for saying it. You know, gold stars. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Danielle, please let us know by leaving a review. You know, our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know, your reviews help in that regard. So as always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. You can come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.